Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season one of Barry. Damask, how are we going today? I am tired. How tired? are you? Why, why tired? What were you doing last night? I went to see Trixie Mattel last night. Who is Trixie Mattel? Trixie Mattel is a drag queen. She mm-hmm. won... Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 3. Pretty sure up to the third season. Um, and she is wonderful. So I was having fun watching her last night. So it was a show? Yes. Yeah. It was just so a meeting great. It wasn't like an uh, autograph signing or something like that. It was a- No, no, no. So she's <laughs> kind of like a country singer and a, a comedian and all that kind of, all that good stuff. It was very, oh, really? very good. Sounds yeah. awesome. All right. Mm-hmm. We've got no time to waste. Let's get straight into it. Off topic. Hot topic. <laughs> That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is a segment where we talk about things that aren't the show that we're reviewing today. Um, Just a couple of quick headlines this week. Um, First of all, and this only happened in the last uh, two or three days, Roseanne, which has just come back to its glorious revival, to amazing (laughs) numbers apparently on the air, has been cancelled after Roseanne Barr herself uh, sent out a racist tweet about one of Michelle Obama's um, uh, not informants is not the right word. One of her advisors, <laughs> I believe. Yeah, comparing her to something about some Muslim thing. I don't. I won't even can't remember. The Brotherhood. And then, yeah. What was it? Sorry. Like, like called the Brotherhood or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. cross with uh the planet a planet of the apes. So I'm shaking my head for the listeners at home. Yeah, Just yeah. Shaking my head. Um. So funnily enough, uh, ABC. The family network owned by Disney weren't happy with that and <laughs> cancelled the show on her. Who would have thought you'd, know. you know, you'd have consequences for your actions? Surprise, um, How surprise. do we feel about this news? I mean, I just, I was, ugh. I think I felt the same way that everyone felt about it. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Shut up, you idiot. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think I was, I guess, surprised that. The show was cancelled, but I think once I realised that it was on ABC, it made more sense. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, ABC, Disney, they don't, they don't actually need that money. <laughs> they, you know, they can, they're able to make those decisions, whereas something like CBS would probably uh, make her apologise and keep the show because their ratings were amazing. 
Ratings um, were huge. There's mm. a there's a lot of things to consider about this. One, Roseanne Barr has been off her fucking racist rocker for a while now. If you follow her Twitter mm. account at all, this is not really news. This is not really new behavior. She's been like this for a long time. Yeah. Um. She. So some people are, are a little upset with ABC, saying this is a little bit disingenuous, mainly because you brought back her show when she was already like this, and only why is it now that this is the line that you've drawn? It is interesting though. They they're giving up potentially a lot of money. Like it's success. It's a successful show. It's it did what they wanted, which is get um a conservative audience, you know, middle America type to be watching their station again, which maybe they weren't doing. Mm. So to cancel it is a pretty big deal in terms of take giving them something, taking it away, and people, are, you know, people on that side of politics are pretty upset with ABC for cancelling like they have. Yes, yes. I mean, I can understand why people who are conservatives um, would be would have enjoyed to have a a show that was appealing to them. Um, however, I think those that are you know screaming about you know freedom of speech and all that stuff. I mean, they're irrational people anyway because it actually yeah. has nothing to do with freedom of speech. Um, it has to do with uh, personal actions and consequences. Um, yeah, so people in who are terribly upset or in any way defending the comments, then, you know, fuck those people. In the same week where or in a similar amount of time since the NFL has now made it uh, that the players, if they kneel in protest, like a Black Lives Matter protest, will be fined for this now, and that's okay. They've applauded that news as being good news. Meanwhile, Samantha B today, favourite of yours, I know, Damask, mm-hmm. uh, called uh, just an explicit warning, on a language warning on this one. Not that you, sh- you should already know this about our show. You're about to say, uh, Samantha- I'm always swearing. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Samantha B uh, called Ivanka Trunk- Trump a feckless cunt today on <laughs> or in the last 24 hours on her uh, TV show and mm. has been f- has apologised, um, but uh, the White House itself was asking for that show to be cancelled and for her to uh, be taken off the air for that and be fired just like Roseanne was. Um, mm. Anyway, we could go on that for a very, very long time, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I just think, yeah, that is such a part of Samantha B's shtick on that show is that when she introduces people, um, particularly people that she vehemently is against and is opposed to their politics and what they stand for, she goes in and she says the most insulting and, in my opinion, hilarious things all the time. I think there's even like like a YouTube clip, like it's a montage of all the amazing insults that she's flung at Ted Cruz. So that's her thing. It doesn't insult me that she called her, what was it, a feckless cunt? Was a that? feckless cunt. I a think mewling quim. Sorry. <laughs> mewling quim is is fantastic line. Um, <laughs> that was Loki, right? Yeah, that was yeah. Loki called, uh, yeah, Thor, I think a mewling quim, yeah. Right. I thought he called Black Widow a mewling quim. Am I oh, no, he did. Wrong? You're right. Black Widow yeah. mewling quim. Thank um, you. Sorry. Yes, yeah, he did. What a saying that was. Yeah. That was, I mean, that's Samantha B's shtick. She was calling this woman a cunt who, you know, I kind of think is a cunt. So it doesn't <laughs> offend me. And I'm actually shocked that she apologized. 
I think I think it was probably a lot of pressure from TBS yeah. um, to do that to try and just give something back because there was so much pressure, especially when the White House starts. Mm. Like I that's, think I'm, that's the yeah. thing when they're talking about censorship, right? And this is the argument about what ABC did. Disney did with Roseanne when they fire her or cancel her show and the thing is, oh, this is a, you know, First Amendment rights, this is censorship, blah, blah, blah. When the White House starts using its political weight to try and get a show or a person fired or taken off the air, that is actual censorship. Like, that is the thing the First Amendment was actually written about. Mm -hmm. So, that's the the ridiculous nature of this, though. But anyway, she sent the apology out. Roseanne Barr, meanwhile, said she was going to quit Twitter has since, since come back because she's going to start a grass, grassroots movement of people who think like her, which if you scroll through her tweets and re, re, retweets and all that sort of stuff, it's just a bunch of racist and um, I'd say that grassroots movement already happened. That's how Trump became president. So What she's trying to do is she's trying to make a buck off these angry racist people that agree <sighs> with the bullshit that, and the conspiracy theories that she peddles online. Mm. But le- hey, listen, it's just it's just because of the Ambien. That's all it was. It was the Ambien she took. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Anyway, uh, the other big- I really well, hope, was- you know in America how they can advertise in drugs? So for our listeners in America, in Australia, you can't advertise uh, medication. It's 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 a weird thing to do. We don't have but it the, here. The, but the, you know, you like- can advertise some medication. Like we see Panadol ads and stuff like that. But it's- Yeah, but I'm talking about like prescription drugs. No. Yeah. No. Um, I hope now the- Ambient commercials now list on their side effects in the ad is um, <laughs> subsequent racism. Side effects may include racism. Yeah, racist tweets. Yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible. Um, so, we've been talking a little bit now about rest development, how the show's coming back. Um, the show, this next season of 16 episodes, has been split in half. Um, so, eight episodes now, eight episodes coming later in the year. It wasn't or isn't still, as far as I'm aware, available on Netflix in Australia, though it is available via Foxtel. I think the first three or four episodes you can get on Foxtel now now with more coming next week. Um, Some other news has popped up since then. Portia de Rossi uh, announced that she is leaving the show, not only leaving the show, but has quit acting um, because she wants to focus on a new business venture, which I believe is like 3D replicas of art or something like that. It's like 3D printing art so it's like instead of buying a print which is flat some art has actually got some texture to it right and the idea yeah. is that you can buy art that actually resembles that texture that's apparently the business that's what i read anyway she announced okay. this on on ellen DeGeneres's show right um and she said that she actually told mitch hurwitz this before they started filming season five and he was very okay with it but then wrote her into five episodes which happened and mm. as someone who has actually watched these eight episodes um she is in it Barely. She's right. got a handful of lines in five episodes. I don't think she actually actually interacts with anybody properly in those first five episodes. I'm pretty yeah. sure they were like filmed at different times. It's pretty obvious she wasn't in the same room with any of the actors at all. Mm. Um, and so she's left the show and her character's left. But the biggest thing that happened in all of this, in a week of outrage and all sorts of things going on, there was this interview with the New York Times and a few of the cast members from Risk Development, including Alia Shawkat, Jeffrey Tambor, um, David Cross, uh, what's his name, Jason Bateman, Jessica Walters, and Tony, the guy who plays Buster, whose name I can't remember all of a sudden. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Interesting interview that got very emotional and basically involved Jessica Walter... um, 
talking about how Jeffrey Tambor had abused her on set, verbally abused her. Mm. Um, she made pretty explicit that it wasn't the sexual sort of abuse that he has been accused of um, doing while he was filming Transparent um, because there was already controversy about the fact that Jeffrey Tambor was even coming back to Arrest Development after those accusations. Yeah. To go not get too deep into it, I don't think, it was a bit of a mess. Jessica or Ms. Walter gets very emotional, sort of has this moment of like putting this out there for the first time in really um, illustrative terms about how Jeffrey had abused her and yelled at her in a way that she'd never been yelled at or treated in her 60 years of being an actress. Mm. Um, as Dee is emotional, you, if you can hear the audio from the interview, she's I, crying I didn't listen in this. to it. I didn't want to hear her cry. I was yeah, like, she's, it was, I thought it'd be upsetting. She's just she's having a very emotional moment. Yeah. And then what happens is she's sort of talking about how she's going she's she's forgiving Jeffrey for this because she has to keep working with him basically not that she says in those terms but then fucking jason bateman comes in and pretty much does everything he can to try and diminish what she's saying to try Mm. and explain away tambor's behavior and make it sound like it's just a part of the process it's just a part of how he acts because actors are a weird bunch and they're emotional and they do things like this and he's helped along by david cross in particular and a little bit by um uh, what's his name? He plays Job. Uh, Will Arnett. Might, Will Arnett. Thank you very much. The only person who really comes across as being a hero in this at all is Alia Shawcat, who steps in and reminds Jason Bateman that none of this makes what he's doing acceptable. Yeah. Um. You read the interview. What do you think? Yeah, because I had no idea about it, and then because we were going to do season five next week. Mm. And then you're like, oh, did you still want to do it because of the interview? And I was like, oh, fuck, what? What, what is it now? Because um, there's always something. So you sent me the interview and I read through it. And, yeah, I started reading. I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like they're like particularly um, Bateman is being a dickhead. Yeah. And, like, he just won't shut up about it and just keeps going on and on in this, like, reiterating the same thing like – it's very mansplaining. It's very, yes. very mansplaining. But dismissive um, is the bit that I hate. It's the bit it just tries yeah. to diminish the diminish what she's felt or what she's experienced as being. Oh, but that's just entertain. That's just show business. Yeah, as if a woman who has been in show business for sixty years can't recognise what eccentric show business behaviour is and what is abusive behaviour and what has affected her negatively. It's like, yeah, no, I think she knows. Like, well, that was the show- thing in particular that Walter says. It's like he says this and he goes, but but no one has treated me as this bad. No one has had this sort of behavior towards me in my 60 years. Yeah. Like she really wants to highlight. It's like it was bad, worse yeah. than anybody else I've ever worked with, which considering how long she's been working for is pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. And considering like obviously she's a woman who's been in the industry for so long. I'm so I'm sure she's seen some shit. Damn straight. And so the she fact must that have. it has affected her this way. Yeah. Um like to not to be her friend and you know they talk about being a family and loving each other. To see how emotional she is for her to be vulnerable in that space and then to talk about her experience as if you have some sort of insider knowledge on how she feels or how it made yeah. her feel is so gross. Um, but it, it, it was really nice to see Alia Shawcat, 
you know, step in and be like, well, yeah, but there's no excuse for that behaviour. It's baffling to me that this girl who I, I guess is kind of our age, right? Yeah, Having would be to approximately. explain to this group and good on her, this group of grown fucking men mm. and being like, um, that's inappropriate behaviour. What are you talking about? Like, it's just, it's it's very strange. It's very strange. Disappointing. It, it speaks, to, it seems to me like this probably came out of the blue. I don't think anyone was expecting. They probably expected the questions. I'm not sure they expected Jessica Walter to suddenly just sort of give up all of this. I think she says in the interview, this is sort of like all of a sudden this is a New York Times exclusive that you're getting here. And some well, of the no, beh- because, no, because Jeffrey, she had never spoken about it before. Yes. And then Jeffrey Tambor in, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter or something, brought up this incident yes. between the two of them. She had no intention of ever bringing it up. And then because he had spoken about, about it in detail in this article that had come out maybe I think like a week prior or something then the journalist brought it up yeah yeah it's yeah no no I'm sure they probably expected the question I'm not sure they expected this sort of outpouring the way it happens and Mm. I think a lot of this is not excusing it by the way but maybe explaining where it came from I think a lot of it is them going fuck we're in an interview that we're trying to publicize the show and all of a sudden one of our stars is talking about her horrible experience on it so they had to try and walk it back it doesn't excuse it. And I'm really happy that Alia Shawkat, you know, made sure that that was clear as well. Yeah. It was fucking disappointing, especially from Bateman for me, who seems to be, and to, seems to be the, the the biggest one here, the biggest um, sort of culprit of it. Did you see his apology afterwards? He tweeted out. Yeah, I did. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, I thought it was a good apology. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people had a problem with it. Um. Yeah, it, some people felt like he didn't really own it still. He was sort of saying, I wasn't doing this, I wasn't doing that, and maybe not admitting that, what, even if he didn't intend it, what he did was still dismissing her, dismissive of what she was I, saying. I felt like he owned that he had been dismissive, whether intentionally or not. I think I think he owned th- that it was bad, why it was bad. Um, I just don't think persecuting people forever for, you know, fucking up in in the way that he did sure. is productive or helpful oh, part of the conversation. Um, look, if this, you know, had been a part of like uh, a pattern of behaviour of being a dickhead, then sure, be like, nah, nah, I've had enough of you. But it was a shitty situation. He did a shitty thing. He seemed to have to have reflected on it and apologised, I th- I think, quite well. And I think he articulated it quite well. But, you know, whatever. People can feel how they want to feel. How do you feel about... So, my reaction was sort of like, I don't know if I really wanted to, to give a full episode of the show, of the podcast, to Arrested Development Season 5 anymore. How do you feel about it, that idea? Well, why don't you? I just don't want to... It's gotten so yucky and weird and gross now. It, the, the whole thing's been strange. I don't know if I just... I, I Especially with Tambor already was already a bit weird for me. Mm-hmm. We never came even to discussing that probably. probably. Yeah. But even him and his behaviour and what's going on, it made me not want to necessarily... It's the same reason I don't want to go back and do House of Cards one day or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so when this starts, this other stuff starts happening and all of a sudden Jason Bateman... And David Cross are coming across as... And, like, David Cross has come out to defend Jeffrey Tambor and his behaviour 
on um, the set of Transparent and stuff as well. It's like, it's getting grosser and grosser all the time for me. And I kind of just want to avoid it anyway. It's easy to do as well. We can let this go for a while. They've only released half the season. And I would happily give my review of those first eight episodes because I've watched them. <laughs> like, I could do it right now and tell you how I feel on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't... Honestly, I really don't care either way. Like, I love Arrested Development. I think it's an incredible show. I have not seen any of season five. Sure. Um, but, yeah, if there's yuckiness in the air with it for you, then, yeah, it doesn't bother me not to talk about it. I'm not I like, was compelled oh, damn to- it, I'm, I'm, I've got strong opinions about it. I really don't. I, I was compelled to uh, reward Alia Shawkat for her standing up and talk mm-hmm. about um, Search Party instead, which I keep hearing great things about, yes. which is now on SBS On Demand in, uh, in Australia Look, and easy to watch. Be- just before we started recording this podcast, I was in the bath and I did like smash through four episodes. Four episodes. Wow. It was a long bath. It was quite luxurious, I'll be honest. <laughs> Um, and I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Different. It's very different. And I have confused thoughts about it at this moment in time, but excellent. Very interesting. Very interesting. Mm. Um, I'm going to put my, I'm going to quickly put my thoughts out there on the first eight episodes of season five then. <laughs> okay. Um, you fucking hate them, don't you? Uh, there, uh, the stuff between maybe and Michael Sarah and, and maybe and George Michael, I think is working really well in this show. Yep. Oddly, it seems like they're in a different show some ways. There's, mm. there's, it, it feels like the narrator disappears during their bits. And they have a lot of scenes together that, that are working. Those two actors, I think, are, are bringing quite a lot to the show. Everybody else looks like they don't want to be there and probably don't like each other a whole lot. And there's fucking zero comedic chemistry between a, most of them anymore. Portia de Rossi getting pushed out, sort of having to make this weird exit out of the show is tough as well. It's all very strange. Mm, it's okay. Tony Tony Hale is pushed to the side a lot this season as well. We don't get a whole lot of Buster, and that's Aww, a bit odd as well. I it's, love Buster. Mm, I mean, there's a, there's there's a there's a narrative reason for it, but it does. It's funny because it is. We complained about season four. This its format being a bit strange because they're trying to do the whole like individual episodes thing based on separate characters and whatnot. But this one. Well, it does seem to go back to some more of what the original three seasons were like. It also says it doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of it. And mm. I I watched it all. I usually had one laugh that was like, oh, yeah, that's really funny in each episode. And a lot of it, I was just sitting there going, kind of feeling like maybe they should just stop at season three and this whole reboot experiment was a bad idea. Mm. Now, can I ask, did you watch these episodes pre or post the scandal? Post. It was the only way I could. The, the scandal was before that was ever released. Right. Do okay. I think that's affected my feelings on it? I, maybe. It's possible. I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it's very funny most of the time. Okay. Fair enough. Um, particularly the ending. There's this bit on, at the, in the last episode. Just There's just a, a lot of stuff happening around a parade. I'm sitting here going, this is a fucking mess. And not, not like a fun, like chaotic mess where everything seems to be just heightening it, everything else around it. Just like, mm. this is just weird and like not gelling and it feels stilted and like half-assed. I don't know. Right. Okay. There's some fun stuff with Ron Howard though. That's good. Interesting. Um, I also wanted to briefly talk about 
something I've been watching watched over the last week. Solo, a Star Wars story. Have you seen this yet? The latest Star Wars <laughs> film? No. No, I no. haven't. What are your thoughts on it? My thoughts are that it's uh, quite a bit of fun. It is a... I compared it to like a mid-tier Marvel film, like an Ant-Man or a Doctor Strange sort of thing. Like it's... Yeah, I had a feeling that was what it was going to be. Hence something why like that. I... Because we usually do like midnight screenings and stuff and... Yes. In our little nerd chat on Facebook, you know, you guys have been talking about it quite a bit and, you know, talking about trailers and stuff. And I have been completely disinterested in the whole thing. Well, it's funny that we got around to it coming out and we didn't... No one talked about going to see it together. Like, it just... There was some weird energy. It was, like, marketed weirdly or it did the marketing campaign didn't start it started too late but then sort of peaked too early this whole weird thing happened mm. and like then there were some reactions from people who saw it at the premiere two weeks before it came out here and it sort of felt like the, the, like the moment had gone and so but I went and saw it because I, of course I wanted to see what I thought of myself I'd heard mixed things from yeah. people I've heard like polarizing things yeah I Liam, have I, I haven't heard kind of middle of the road opinions i've had people who were just like uh nut does not work at all or oh my god i really enjoyed it what fun liam so. who's been on the show before enjoyed it quite a bit mm-hmm. cameron who's been on the show but show before really liked it sent twice wants to see it a second time mm-hmm. joel who hasn't been on the show yet but will be one day joel from dialogue options kyron's co-host he hated it <laughs> <laughs> right um i personally Certainly see the flaws. It's completely inessential. There is nothing about it that you will leave with and go, oh, that makes me feel better differently about Han Solo. You won't. Mm-hmm. Barely, really at all. Um, yeah. There's nothing to be gained here for stuff that you got from Star Wars previously. But for the majority of the film, apart from some a couple of really, really like, oh, God, why'd you do that moments? And an ending that I thought was just sort of lost its lost itself somewhere, tried to achieve something. It was like, oh, this we should have stopped this earlier. Why are we going here now? The majority of it is quite fun. A lot of people I'd heard complained that it was too slow to begin with. The first 20 to 40 minutes were a bit slow. And I was, I would disagree. I was in at early on. I was like, this is fun. This is adventure. This is like, I can get behind this. This is just, this is full of energy and like youth and I'm in. Um, I think the praise around Donald Glover is a little bit exaggerated. I think he's actually doing more of an impression than a performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas I actually found myself more endeared towards um, the young Han Solo, even though he's nothing like Harrison Ford, at least felt like his own thing. He was just doing his performance rather than trying to be Harrison Ford, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. It was yeah. I enjoyed most of it. The ending sort of loses itself, and there's some terrible, terrible fan servicey moments in there that shouldn't be there. But that's all right. Yeah, I just I, don't I, have any desire to know more about Han Solo. I really don't you, at you, all. I mean, the things that you learn, you could just put in a bullet point list, and you would know as much. Like it's just mm. not. It's nothing that makes you go, "Oh, I understand him better now." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing. Because it, it feels obvious that they should do something to make you go, oh, this is why he has such trust issues. And like, they kind of do that, but it's nothing that this, it's nothing that seems to affect him so much. It's sort of surface level 
Yeah, but also like if I, I, I've never been like, oh, I wonder why Han Solo has trust issues. It's Do like, you know no, why? He's a cool, charming character. And well, I enjoyed is, the story that His story that he's starts in. in A New Hope, right? Like his arc is guy who, you know, is a loner and a scoundrel mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how he, it's like, I don't need to know. He gets interesting because of Star Wars, A New yeah. Hope. He's not, in, the whole idea is he isn't interesting beforehand. His adventure starts there. Yeah. That's the thing, like the whole, you know, one of the best ways to begin a story is like, you know, start your story running. You know, you don't need to like, we don't need to have, you know. and then We don't need he... to know the origin of every single, no, we, don't we don't need to know why or how we got the Millennium Falcon or how he and Chewie met. They just, that's, they come as a pair mm-hmm. and they work great like that and that's mm-hmm. fine. Yep. And no, I didn't need to know that. I mean, it, the explanation's good. The scenes around that stuff are fine. Of course, they explain all that stuff. Every single element of Han Solo that you know to be that character is explained. Too much is explained, if anything. Mm. But none of it's insightful, if that makes sense. None of it makes me go, oh, and this is, that's in, that makes me recontextualize. It doesn't do any of that. It just doesn't. And yeah. that's why it's sort of nothing. It doesn't matter. Just enjoy it and then go watch the other movies a million times like you will. Damas, do you have anything for us for Off Topic Hot Topic? So, I have watched something this week, which I, I don't know why I started watching it. I had, I really had no desire to watch it, but I did. And that was uh, Supergirl, the old TV show, Supergirl. You're staying wa- from the start here? Pardon? You're staying from the start with yep, Supergirl? I, yep. I watched the first two episodes and it was very basic and very cheesy. <laughs> um, but I mean, like it fits with the genre of comic book so that that's okay yeah and in particularly in the first episode there is quite a lot of focus on her being a girl um you know which as an a adult super girl yeah it, it made me roll my eyes i'm like oh i get it she's a girl but that doesn't matter like i get it sure um but i also understand that like younger girls are going to be watching this and so I, I guess it's important for them to kind of take that message in yeah. Um, but for me as an adult, I was like, oh, this is boring. Um, but I, I think I think I'm gonna keep watching it just as like, you know, an episode here and there when I wanna watch something feel good. It was just really feel good stuff and it was a bit of fun. Yeah. I kinda okay, liked cool. it, even though it's pretty dumb. Do you think do you, so it's not it didn't grab you though. It's none of those things that made you go, Oh, I can't wait to see the next episode or oh I'm fascinated by this storyline or character. No, no, it's just something that's fun and easy to watch. Okay. But I mean, I I hope that's you know it does hook me in in that way. I mean, that was kind of what happened f- for me with Riverdale. It was like I did not it, expect. It sounded to be- like Riverdale the way you. It's almost the way you described it. It's like could this be your Riverdale replacement while you're waiting <laughs> for season three to come about? Or <laughs> maybe maybe that's what my heart is yearning for. Maybe that's why I started watching it. It was subconscious. I don't know. But she yeah, does no, have a bit of fun. a Betty thing going on. They're similar sort of like, no, I yeah. suppose just, they're both blonde. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, she's she's solving crimes, which is what Betty does, I guess. Yeah. There you go. Mm. It's no, a that's type. Good. Anything yeah. else to mask? Um, uh, I've just, uh, have you noticed recently how much James Cameron just won't shut up about the new Avatar films he's going to make? I mean, every time he does an interview, that's what he's talking about. Oh, I'm just, I'm. I'm fucking sick of it. Like, <laughs> one make your goddamn movies. <laughs> exactly, pot, and one James like Cameron. E- every time he talks about it, it's never about the story. It's all about like, oh, I'm gonna like 
reinvent like 3D filmmaking or I'm going to make this cool camera that can do things. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about your camera. What's the story? What are you talking? He has nothing to say and yet he won't shut up. And it's just, I don't like James Cameron. Can but he's tell? a straight white male. Everyone wants to know his opinion. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Please tell me how you would remake Jurassic Park and make it cooler, you idiot. Sorry, yeah. he didn't. What? What? Did he do that? No, he said he just said he was he would he would have made um, Jurassic Park darker or whatever. Because I think in him, Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, Steven Spielberg fucking yeah. classic, possibly the best film he ever made. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Because apparently he was like he was vying for the rights at the same time that Spielberg was c- trying to get them. It's um, oh, yeah. Oh, it's so easy to go. Oh, if I made it, it would have been so. Good. <laughs> Fuck yourself, man. It's literally one of my favourite films of all time. Get the yeah. fuck out. And just also... You feckless cunt. No. You, d- <laughs> you just don't need to have an opinion about everything. You know what I mean? And I yes. understand that that's probably um, a bit of a joke coming from you and I, who <laughs> this is a podcast about us having opinions on everything. So, mm, moving on. Um, I think you have some reality check for us today. Is that I right? I do have some reality check for you. So, this week, uh, well, actually last week, I watched the Vanderpump Rules reunion finale. So, in the first part of the reunion, it is revealed that Brittany has, in fact, taken back Jax. I know you're shocked to hear that, Brad. Uh, yes. Whoa. No <laughs> way. Now, Jax. This is- <laughs> My God. All I'm thinking about, it, by the way, listeners, is Jax from Mortal Kombat series, one of the metal arms. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> Look, I don't get that context, but that's fine. Um, So, this information is very upsetting as a viewer since what we've seen of their relationship all season is so disturbing that I feel like every episode should come with a trigger warning for those of us that have lived through shitty relationships. And while it makes me sad that people in the street have actually gone up to Brittany and told her she's an idiot for (laughs) taking Jax back, I'm, I'm not condoning that. But what I do think is important to say to the cutie pie, that is Brittany, is that yes, you can be with whoever you want and yes, love is great and a force for good and can allow us to forgive truly terrible behaviour. But it's also important to remember that to forgive those, it's important to forgive those that show contrition and then subsequently change their behaviour. Because, Brittany girl, you need to understand that Jax Taylor will not change. He clearly has some sort of personality disorder, probably narcissism, and is incapable of feeling empathy. He will cheat on you again. He will lie to you again. And for a girl who seemingly wants to live a wholesome life, get married and have a few dozen babies, I've got to ask, do you really want to show your kids that being in love means accepting a partner that only values you or sees your worth when it directly bolsters their own self-esteem? It's very depressing to watch. Anyway, that's a Vanderpump Rules reunion talk. Now let's move on to the Real Housewives of New York. Oh, ho, ho, we finally have a worthy adversary for Bethany the Tyrant. Yes, Bethany does some great humanitarian stuff for which I commend her. But let's be honest about how she treats the people she is friends with. She is controlling in an incredibly unhealthy way. Her need to control, belittle and diminish those around her is pathological. 
And that is why it is so, 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 so satisfying to watch her go head-to-head with her former BFF, Carol. Carol was once a journalist who spent time in, you know, war-torn countries. She's been a part of the New York elite for decades, thanks to marrying into the Kennedys. And she's incredibly intelligent. She knows how to put across her point. She isn't rattled easily. And it was a joy to watch Bethany's usual double speak and manipulations fall flat against a fiercer adversary. Damn, I loved it. And that is the end of my reality check. Unreal. Thank you, Damask. I'm happy to say I understood maybe 10% of that, if any at all. <laughs> you understood that it was English. but I did that that much. Yes, yeah, I understood good, most good, of good. the words I think were English. You may have shifted into some other alien language I'm not aware of um, <laughs> in there somewhere as well. In the meantime, let's move on to our spoiler-free review of Barry. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Barry is an HBO dark comedy series created by Alec Berg and Bill Hader. Hader stars as the titular hitman who travels to Los Angeles for a job but finds himself joining the local art scene. Hader is joined on screen by Stephen Root, Sarah Goldberg, Glenn Fleshler, Anthony Carrigan and D'Arcy Carden and Henry Winkler as acting coach Gene Cousineau. Barry is available in Australia via Foxtel and premiered in the US on HBO on March 25th, 2018. Season 1 consists of 8 episodes, each coming in at around 28 minutes, and took us approximately 3 hours and 45 minutes to watch. What a delight. On April 12th, 2018, it was reported that HBO renewed the series for a second season. Now, before we get into things, Damask, I did just want to have a quick uh, overview of why we chose to review Barry. Um, did you? Was there a specific reason that you felt you wanted to record this one? It was mainly my recommendation, I'm thinking. But Yeah, no, you just told me to watch it, so I did. <laughs> Great, yeah. And I got that mainly because it became highly recommended. I had noticed online people had been talking about um, Barry quite a lot. Um, I am a fan of Bill Hader and his work over the years mm-hmm. in movies like Superbad and so forth. Um, and it had an interesting original premise. And yeah, um, Cam, who was on for our Lost in Space season one episode, really raved about this show. So I was keen to give it a go. Um, so let's get into it then, Damask. Can you please give your spoiler-free review of Barry season one? All right. So Barry season one, this show is good. It is strange. It is funny. And it is also horrifying. Alienation and a loss of self are the key to this story of Barry the Hitman. Bill Hader's performance is somehow both endearing and makes your blood run cold. Uh, Watching this emotionally repressed Hitman try and reach out and connect with people who are damaged in their own way is emotionally taxing but also endlessly rewarding to watch. Every single character in this show is off kilter, makes the whole world seem alien, and all I want is for the people in the show to come together and find some semblance of peace and acceptance of themselves. Every character in this show is an obtuse instrument of the plot. This should be awful to watch, but by the end, it creates like such a cacophony of unfulfilled desires that when the final credits roll, you like, like I had to sit in silence and just recover a little bit. You have to recover from all of the heartbreak, all of the confusion, the alienation, the sorrow that you just had to witness. 
but the plot is superb. The characters within that plot are wonderfully realised by the performances and the script. This show is genuinely fantastic and the only flaw for me is that I want more. So please watch it, please watch it, please watch it. Awesome, awesome. What's your uh, review? I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly on a number of levels. It is, it's just a, it's a very enjoyable show for so many different reasons. Number one, it's just got a fairly original concept, um, which I don't want to go into specifics, but if you watch the trailer, it's it's basically Hitman meets acting class is a big part of it, right? Sort of, um, and those two ideas colliding in this one person and what that mm. means to be doing one thing and maybe wanting to do another. Um, the it does have similarities in its sort of its its base structure to something like a Breaking Bad, you know, that sort of normal life meets dark under dark life, dark underbelly, or dark secondary life sort of thing going on for it. But it's built around a comedy more than anything, and that's that works really, really well. It's extremely well written, both in terms of its scripting and its dialogue. It's mm. very funny, as I said, but it's also dark, it's exciting, it's violent, it's sweet, it's confronting and surprising and just engaging in all of those areas. And I found that really, really refreshing and and, and um, a great sort of thing to bring to the show. And it's full of excellent performances, particularly from Bill Hader, who as much as I enjoyed him as a comedian, I haven't ever thought of him necessarily as, as an actor um, being a great actor, though I have heard that the Skeleton Twins is quite good. The movie he did with Kristen Wiig, um, yeah, I've been meaning to get around to watching that. that. You have seen it. Do you yeah. remember it, how, if it was any good? It's all right. It's all right. Cool. You can blow me <laughs> okay. away, but it's all right. Yeah. And Henry Winkler, I just want to give a little shout out to him he... as well. The more I see him in, the more I realise he's fucking a a gem. He's just yeah. great. Golden everything he's in. He's excellent. And so, like you, I highly endorse um, Barry in a lot of ways. I have a lot to say, but it's going to be a lot easier once we get into spoilers because mm-hmm. you just don't want to give anything away Yeah, about this. Um, but no, I found it really enjoyable. Three and, three and a half or ne- just under four hours. So easy to watch. So and good. Ev- every, every, every episode is great. And just I was ready to move on to the next one straight away. It was so easy to consume and watch. Um, mm-hmm. What would you give it out of five stars, Damask? I think I'd give it a four. Mm-hmm. A, a very high four, but a four, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm also sitting at a four as well. Excellent. Um, I think it is one of those shows that has the potential as it goes along to reach even higher heights potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so there's room to go even better than what it's doing. Um, but for the eight episodes, the three and a half hours we got, excellent. Highly recommend you go watch it and you should go watch it. Don't listen ahead any further until you've seen it. Find it as we said on Foxtel here in Australia or on HBO in the States and around the world. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, 
and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's move into spoilers. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning, on this episode we will be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Barry. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Barry up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. There once was a former Marine turned hitman named Barry. He flew to LA to do a quick job for some Chechens under the behest of his manager slash Uncle Fuchs. During his mission, he stumbles upon my Year 10 drama class and falls in love with it. Unfortunately, one of the actors is the guy he's gonna kill. There's a bit of internal conflict for Barry, because the guy seems so nice. But if it was me, I'd happily murder everyone in that room, except for Darcy Carden, because she is glorious in The Good Place, and also Henry Winkler because he's an American icon and they need all of the positive iconography they can use right now. The poor dears have lost Roseanne. They can't lose the Fonz as well. Anyway, the Chechens are tired of waiting, so they kill the actor guy themselves and then plan on killing Barry. But he shoots them all dead because, as it turns out, beneath his unassuming demeanour, he is a total killing machine badass. The Chechens want revenge and kidnap both Harry and Fuchs. They tell Barry he has to kill for them, since he murdered one of their best assassins, or they'll kill his uncle slash manager. He does it reluctantly, and while he's working his butt off killing some Bolivians, Fuchs is striking up a deal with the boss whose name always sounds like Gorgon to me. You know, from Small Soldiers. Does that movie still hold up? Because it totally kicked butt when I was a kid. Anyway, Fuchs convinces the emissary of the Gorgonites that Barry should be their regular hitman and take out a Bolivian stash house. When Barry discovers this, he's pretty PO'd since it's more of a job for a bunch of men. Fast forward to Barry being enamoured with Sally, who is the most promising actor in class, but can't seem to get a break. Let's be honest, she's about one more failed audition to a full-on mental breakdown. And to ease her impending psychosis, she sleeps with Barry to make herself feel better. She just thinks of it as a nice little pick-me-up, but Barry starts to plan their wedding. So then Darcy Carden throws a party for all of her buddies and her current crush, who it turns out to be Disney's answer to Andy Serkis. But when Barry gets a little too creepy and offers Sally gold, frankincense and myrrh in exchange for her lifelong devotion, she freaks out and takes Andy Serkis home. Barry is crushed. So he decides to get drunk with his old marine buddies, one of which finds out he's a hitman and wants in. This guy is totally nuts, but Barry and Fuchs figure maybe he can help out with the raid and then Barry can just kill him afterwards. Seems like a solid plan, except Barry can't seem to shoot a fallen marine in the back of the head. So now what? Well, the heat is rising since the cops are investigating the murder of the guy from the acting class. And it gets even hotter when Barry's marine friend puts a shit ton of money in his bag as part of their raid payday. Barry discovers this and stashes it in the toilet at the acting school. Henry Winkler and the detective have some serious sexual chemistry, and one night Detective Moss goes to visit Jean at the acting school, but instead she comes upon a Chechen man who is stalking Barry. She figures out this guy is a shady character, a shootout takes place and the guy is killed. 
Upon further investigation, they find all of Barry's secret money in the roof of the school. But thankfully, they assume it ties the original murder victim Ryan to the mob. Taylor, the unhinged Marine, is super psyched to help Barry kill some Bolivians. He's so psyched, in fact, he invites two other guys to the raid, including Barry's closest buddy, Chris. And before he can do anything to stop it, Taylor and Vaughn are dead, the car is flipped, and Chris and Barry have to fight to survive, which entails Chris having to kill a guy in order to save Barry's life. Chris is all kinds of fucked up about this, and he tells Barry that he's going to come clean to the cops. This breaks Barry's heart, because in his mind there's only one thing left to do. He kills his friend and leaves his wife and kid believing that he killed himself. Barry then goes back to class to perform in a scene with Sally. He is emotionally raw, to say the least, but she thinks he has finally tapped into his inner Meryl Streep, but he's broken in a way that he wasn't before. Barry is out of the game and he tells Fuchs just that. Fuchs isn't very happy about this, so he sells him out to the Chechens. But sadly, the valuable information he provides is something they already know, so they decide to torture him and kill him instead. Our favourite Chechen and all-around good guy, Noho Hank, gives Barry a heads up that his boss is after him. He tells Barry to fly like Bugs Bunny in Space Jam, but Barry doesn't. Instead, he returns and kills all the badass mobsters, except for his buddy, Noho Hank, of course. The cops assume the mass killing is a part of a Bolivian and Chechen war that was instigated by the innocent Ryan Madison. It looks like Barry is going to be okay. He kicks Fuchs to the curb, he and Sally start over, and he can begin to live a normal life. And that's just the kind of life he was living when at Jean's lake house with Sally and Detective Moss. Jean talks about an amazing improv monologue that Barry showed him when they first met. You know, about how he was a hitman and killed a bunch of people. Moss plays it cool and it seems that she hasn't quite connected the dots. But later that night, when everyone is sleeping, she does some serious Facebook stalking and she discovers Barry's connection to the dead marines at the Bolivian raid. She knows the truth, and just at that moment Barry appears, pleading with her to let him live a normal life. But she's one of the good guys, and she can't let him get away with murder. So Barry does what Barry does best. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I'm going to let you start. Our deep dive, Damask. Is there something in particular you would like to talk about to get the ball rolling? Firstly, I just want to discuss the character of Barry. Yeah. And how complicated and yet somehow simplistic. I mean, the guy is just a walking dichotomy of desires. He's clearly almost constantly in a dissociative state. Yeah, I, I just found him endlessly fascinating to watch. And the more I thought about him, the more heartbreaking his story was. And yet the more I was intrigued as like, I'm very intrigued to, as to where it's going to go next season. Sure. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I loved the performance and I loved the character. What, what were your thoughts about him? Yeah, no, the character is really interesting. It's, it's pretty simple on face value, I think, though. It's interesting, you, you know, you talk about him sort of being dissociative and all those sorts of things as well. And, like, that's there. He's also kind of just, like, a normal guy. He reacts to things with annoyance, you yeah. know, with impatience, those sorts of things. But a lot of it, like, the, the base just character of him is he's been doing this job because he's good at it. He's a hitman, not because he loves killing people or anything like that. He doesn't derive enjoyment out of it. He's just 
he can do it because that's what he's been trained to do. Mm. And he's good at it and he gets paid to do it. So he does yeah. it. And ultimately, he's sort of finding that unfulfilling and then finds this that acting might be something he's more interested in doing and tries to, well, how can I escape this messy, complicated job that I've been a part of for so long and um, and transition into a different world, basically, mm. and seeing that, just the conflict that comes with that, which isn't, I mean, it's, it's weird because a hitman becomes an actor is a weird out there concept, but it's pretty straightforward. What's yeah, I, I think it's it's straightforward, but when I think of it, I'm like, ah, oh, that, that's such a good idea to have a hitman who, yeah, while he is a normal guy, in order for him to do what he does, there is a certain amount that he just has to um, disconnect from and disassociate from. Mm. I mean, at the very beginning, we see him, or, you know, almost in like a catatonic state at that point. Like he's so, he has no access to many emotions at mm. all and then the idea of taking a character like that who was so shut down because of circumstance then put him into a class with people particularly one person who are all about just being walking raw emotions and all they want to do is to delve into emotions and where they come from and how we can uh, connect to them at like a drop of a hat um, and really kind of discover and look at closely the human experience like I, I yeah I just it's it's straightforward it makes perfect sense and I think the way they've done it is beautiful yeah there's just there's a lot in between those two things right there's a lot in between mm. like the, yeah the disassociated emotionless hitman to the yeah surrounding yourself and exploring your emotions and your humanity that just there's so much in between. And how do you mm. go from one to the other? It's an interesting story of like the reverse Breaking Bad. This is sort of the Breaking Good yeah. story. Um, and I, I kind of in my head a couple of times I started comparing it to Dexter. In it was a similar thing where he has this thing inside him. This different in this aspect as well. But there's a dark edge to him and him trying to control or change that and become something else. Only. As Dexter went on, it got really, it got worse and worse at actually getting to some place with it. It just got messy and they kept having to sort of put itself into a holding pattern. And mm. you lo- a lot of people, interestingly, actually, and I want to talk about this a bit later as well, have sort of said, I kind of hope there's no, they didn't want a Barry season two. They were so happy with sort of the full story here. It ends in such a place that they're like, that's a perfect ending in a lot of ways. Like where it's open, it's not. It, not everything's explained. Mm. There's still questions that are left open to you, but it just got to a point where you're like, well, what else is there to tell um, from here? Necessarily, it has a pretty nice little arc and a, a mm-hmm. tragic arc to it ultimately, um, because he's always forced to do it at the end. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah, I think no- what I am really looking forward to next season. Uh, not only like hanging out with Barry a little bit more, um, but I'm really looking forward to diving a little further into the characters around him as well. I think Definitely. they've created such a rich world that I'd be happy to spend time with any of those characters for an episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. That, that The hook for me is to see more of that acting class, see what happens with Sally, keep, see what happens with um, Kusuno, see mm. what happens even with Fugues. I found Fugues to be a really interesting character. I was waiting for him to sort of become the bad guy. And some some days he seems, some moments he seems to be the the big bad almost, the mm-hmm. the antithesis or the opposite of, of Barry. And then the, and sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes he was just sort of, 
the representation of where he used to come from, but he wasn't necessarily nefarious. But I'm I'm waiting for those lines to cross. I can see that becoming more to a head in, in early later seasons as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I certainly see him as being a bad guy. Yeah. But yeah. he is not that simplistic black hat wearing bad guy. Like, there's complications there, which I think we find with all of the characters. Yeah. Which shows just how wonderful the writing is. Definitely. Well... One of the, the one of the key things that makes Barry stand out as a show is th- it is a comedy ultimately, mm-hmm. um, and I just want to talk about some of the the variety of comedy that's in there. There are silly little things like a scene where um, uh, Barry's out on the balcony talking on the phone, and Fugues is getting like attacked <laughs> by people in the room, which yeah. is in room behind him through the glass, which is the sort of joke I last saw in Austin Powers 3, where Mini-Me <laughs> and Austin are having a fight while the the mole guy are having a, is on the phone. Right, yeah. Then yeah. you've got just funny little lines that are seemingly in the background where I can't remember the character's name. She's like the English actress in the troupe. Is oh, talking yeah, I don't about, know her name. What was that, sorry? Yeah, I don't know her name either. No. And she was talking about, uh, she was asked to dance at an audition and she's like, what's this going to be on? They're like, the internet? Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> feeling like that was a big thing, but obviously that's a, a gross LA awfulness moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then you've got the silliness of like Barry setting up to fire on that target that he's meant to be killing the informant guy for the... And then he's just every every time he comes, he's waiting to get the go ahead to do it, and the guy just comes out into the and driveway, he's like stretching and, and jumping <laughs> up and down. And I found that so funny. Yeah, it's very that whole good. thing. And then the best bit of all, possibly my favorite favorite comedy moment in the entire show, was when Barry's asked to perform um, Alec Baldwin's monologue from Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. And just the complete misreading of <laughs> what that performance is supposed to be. Yeah, it's I had just like to, a sweet to, kind of manager, kind yeah. of like yeah, just trying to like you up. know motivate his employees or whatever it is. It's like it's like uh, third prize summer will be fine, but it's just like <laughs> trying to like sugarcoat everything. And I just oh man, it summed up the character so well. It summed up his like block as an actor so well, and yeah. was just such an inspired choice for what that scene. I I had to pause it because I was laughing at how funny that that was. Did you have anything yeah. that stood out comedy wise to you? Um, you yeah, no, I was just thinking about that Glenn Gary Glenn Ross thing, and just I'm sure in the writers' room when. <laughs> That came forward as an idea. Everyone has fucking lost it because it's so it's so perfect. Yeah, and it's it's a great choice for the character and to see Bill Hader, who is so likable and kind of goofy. He's just perfect for it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any big comedy moments that really stand out, other than just. The mere existence of uh, Henry Winkler's character. Yeah. I just find everything he does so funny. The way, like, the way he approaches, what's the detective's name? Uh, yeah, keep talking, I'll find it out. Yeah, he's just like oozing this very strange but charming and endearing sex appeal about him. And yeah, were, that was really weird. I wasn't sure where they were going for that for a long time, but then he like wins her over and it's like, okay, yeah. I guess it's fine then. And there was one moment when they're together and 
they're just standing side by side and she's just rubbing his little pot belly. And I just thought it was the cutest thing. Like, I really was shipping them. I was like, I, I actually love you guys. But I, but I agree. At the, be- at the beginning, I was like, is, this, is he sexually harassing her? But Yeah, that's what I, He does yeah. that thing. It was actually one of my favorite shots as well, which I wanted to talk about. Just the way it was framed where she's in the room and he sort of stands in the doorway and does this weird, like, gross lean. He's hitting on her in the moment. It's mm. just, it's framed in such a way to make him look really awkward <laughs> yeah and yet and i and i love that challenge. she's kind of texting on her phone in that moment and not really present and she's just like i'm sorry what are you like yeah she's she's in no way threatened by him or intimidated or anything she's just kind of like oh god you're a joke which i think is a good way to play it i found um i thought that was interesting as well the sort of banality of the cops as well that Everything they're doing very much just seems like a job most of the time. Yeah. Like, you know, they're fucking around with this lipstick camera and like having to unlock it. It's like, you brought me in for this. Or like commenting, it's like, hey, this weird guy knows this famous person. And like the sort of like weird, just office everyday work thing. No one seems to be like, you know, we got to catch this guy. You know, it's my life's work. It's not, it doesn't get that serious. It's just their job. It's yeah. just for the, for the they- longest time, that's all it is. Yeah, and that guy who comes to work and he's crying because he's, you know, he broke up with his girlfriend and stuff. Yeah. It's like little things like that, which I, yeah, I found. I mean, there's there's so much, they give so much colour to the world, you yes. know, like they really fill every scene with things that seem innocuous but create such a sense of charm yes. that, yeah, is, is really wonderful. I just want to go back to, to Kusano as well. He is a character that I think would be very tempting to just make him... Um, kind of a uh, inept, like, like actually, a hack. To, yeah, right. Mm. To make him just obviously not good, right? That these people have been taken in by a uh, charlatan, right? These all these other wannabe actors who aren't very good, really, except for Sally mm. to some degree, and this guy is just sort of taking them for you know for a ride. But it's interesting because he kind of does have that charlatan aspect to him, where he he's got this weird book that's sort of seems to be filled with a lot of bad advice or the chapters are certainly named weirdly mm. or the and then asking for money in advance all this sort of stuff and he himself is just doing these really bit part roles he's auditioning for in like his own life and so forth and he's kind of a weirdly charming sleaze thing but then you look at him in the scenes when he is like directing people and yes he can be like short and um uh, sort of he has a weird style to him, but he also is kind of right a lot of the time about what's holding what what these people are doing wrong. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, you're totally right. He very could have, very easily could have been this stock character, and while in a lot of ways he is, you're completely right when you say that when he is in acting teacher mode, he you know does quirky things. Yeah, but he gets results. Like you can understand why. Um, these, you know, young actors worship him. And because, you know, when any of them have a block, he actually works really hard with them to kind yeah. of get through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I found that fascinating that there was, yeah, while he's odd, there was there was actual talent or knowledge there that he was passing. I thought that was, that just made him, yeah, much more well-rounded than just a one-note joke. Mm. Um, and that's interesting that you say that too. You were talking about like the different tones or, the the charm that this world has and the show in general is like that it just can go between funny and 
then goes to heartbreaking, like when Barry has to kill his vet, like veteran fellow soldier friend in the car, which was like that moment where he's like, why'd you, why'd you have to say that? Yeah. And the inevitable thing where his friend is like, you know what? I won't tell a soul. And like trying to, even though he's past the point of no return, get out of that situation to like clever and well thought out. Like I love the bit where um, Barry sets up an alibi and says like, you know, oh, I was went to dinner with this person and we caught up with this person and then was able to have that organized in advance with Fugue so that they had a whole system set up there. I was like, that's really clever. That makes so much sense that mm-hmm. you would do it that way. And the whole thing was very clever there. To super horrific when Fugues is having his fucking teeth filed. And uh, I was like, that is disgusting and crazy. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm watching this. And they're, they're joking over it as well. D- disturbing, serious, thought-provoking, lewd. It There was just... There was no angle that seemed off the table. Every single mood and tone w- could be approached by the show and was often and worked still. Yeah. Which... Th- how I is think, it not a mess? Yeah, that's the fascinating thing is that just in you describing that, it sounds like it would be tonally... A goddamn mess. Yeah. Be like, oh, this show doesn't know what it wants to be. But this show knows exactly what it is and somehow has found this incredible balance. And I wish I could speak more intelligently as to how they have done it. Um, I, th- I think it comes down to it's really well written. Yeah, And it, it is. does all of those things well. Like, it doesn't mm. fail at any of them. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, if it was trying to be funny and failing, or if it was trying to be gross and failing, or it was trying to be sincere and emotional and failing at those moments, then you'd go, oh, this is a mess. It's tones all over the place. It, you know, it's a jack yeah. of all trades, master yeah. of none. But- the writing is incredible. The performances are wonderful. And there is yes. such a sincerity to the performances, whether it be a comedic scene, whether something horrifying is happening, or whether something, um, you know, truly sad is happening. Everyone commits and everyone is comp- like so incredibly talented in all of those different uh, performance styles. It speaks to me of it being a passion project. Like, I understand this of being Alex Berg and Bill Hader's baby. Like yeah. Bill Hader wrote, directed, stars in. Yeah. And I believe uh, to me it, it seems like this is something that they've had cooking for a long time. They've put a lot of work into it and they just sort of polished it to a mirror sheen. And so they had, it was like, oh, they knew that was so well formed before they even started shooting. And I was like, it was ready to go. Yeah. It's, I mean, when I'm thinking about like this being a passion project, I was, I can't remember where I read it now, but um, is it, is it Alec Berg? Is that his name? Alex, Alex Berg. Berg, yeah. Alex Berg. Um, and Bill Hader were talking about it and how, when Bill was on SNL, it, it kind of lines up with the story of Barry in which he was, you know, clearly very talented at what he was doing, but it was absolutely not what he wanted to be doing and he hated right. it and it was actually really terrible for him mentally and emotionally. And, right. so I, and that's kind of where this idea stemmed from, yeah. which I thought was pretty fascinating. I mean, yeah, that's that's what I mean. It's like it's a simple metaphor because you can apply so many different jobs to what the hitman thing is. It's just the mm. hitman versus actor is just such a, a fantastic di- there's such a fantastic dichotomy there. That's yeah. it. It's just filled with potential for 
humor and all sorts of different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Hitman thing, though, I just want to talk about we've already talked about the the filing of the teeth. The violence in the show is, I think, is just really well done as well. It's just another aspect. It's like we talked about the writing and the performances, but like the simple things, just like getting the violence right is really good. One of my favorite things, details in episode one, is the bit where Barry finds that his targets already been killed, and then the, mm-hmm. I think it's the Chechens are there, mm-hmm. and then they're going to kill him, and so he's like, "Guys, don't do it!" And then as soon as the gun comes out, he pulls out his pistol and shoots them in a way that was really convincing to me. Like it was just like. Sometimes you see those, like a hitman thing, and they just have to, like, they're super good at, like, martial arts, kung fu, or throwing knives, or, like, yeah. he just pulls out a gun and takes up a stance and moves in a way that I'm like, that's so military precision. And coming out of Bill Hader, I was just like, you just convinced me that he is good at his job right in that moment. Like, it was just, takes three seconds. Yeah. But it's done so well, and just, it's not done with flash. It's like two shots, one facing Barry, one from behind Barry, and seeing like the glass and the guys get killed. I was like, but I totally understand how good this guy is at Mm -hmm. what he does now. I just thought it was really, really, just to get that right was really, I don't know, smart. You know, just. I completely agree. I, I had the same reaction when I watched that scene. I was like, that looked believable to me it is it is not far-fetched for me to believe that bill Hader, because obviously we know bill Hader; he's very recognizable that he is barry and that barry is a very talented hitman did you have much thought on the visual style of the show were there any shots or anything that stood out to you was there anything you really liked i can see you sort of blinking wildly (laughs) trying to think of something because i know that's not your forte necessarily not really. There was something, there were moments where I was like, this visually reminds me of Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know how to describe that or what those elements are to make it seem that way, but that's there just the There was some feeling distinct things, like, I think just like bits inside like garages where criminals are talking yeah. or, um, another, or the warehouse or... When they're like they go out to that airfield and it's like it looks like New Mexico sort of out there. It's like deserty yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's got some very Breaking Bad imagery out there. One of my favorite shots in the entire show um, actually was in episode six when they're going to bum rush um, the Bolivians and mm-hmm. the shots from inside the car and they're sort of like yipping and yahooing and then all of a sudden you just see the the glass breaking. Because they're being shot at from the other side of the runway, and those guys yeah. get killed, and then the car starts to roll, and then it goes to credits. And it was just like there was just a, it was just really effective. This long take of them driving, 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 bang, 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 dead. It was just really well choreographed as well. Mm. Um, it didn't stand out to me a lot, but there were subtle little things about some framing, like I talked about Cousino in the doorway when he was hitting on the detective, and little things like that here and there. Mm. It was just, it was very. Um, it, w- it was well constructed without being flashy, if that makes sense, most of the time. Mm-hmm. One of the things I also wanted to talk about were the different directors on the show. Bill Hader directs episodes one and two. Alex, so the first two episodes. Alex Berg, the other co-creator, episode directed episodes seven and eight. So they talk- top and tailed the season, which is interesting. Hiro Mirai, our new favorite director from, uh, from the Don Glover show Atlanta that we just talked about last week, directed five and six. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah. I was oh, like, super, cool. I was, wow. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I wasn't sure if you noticed that or not. And then another one 
that we had a sort of discussion about on Twitter that I was looking forward to discussing mm. was episode four was directed mm-hmm. by Maggie, Maggie Carey and mm-hmm. it was also written by the episode by Sarah Solmany. Mm-hmm. And I expressed on Twitter that I thought mm-hmm. that was a really good choice because I thought episode four was an episode that was thematically talking about sort of women's um, experience in Hollywood and with um, men, just some some toxic masculinity sort of elements there as well. Yeah. And it had a bit of a hashtag Me Too movement thing going for it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I don't know if you disagreed with me on that one or you thought I was sort of missing something there. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think if that's what you saw in that, that's great. I, and so I, I don't want to discount that at all. Um, while the character of Sally experiences, um, you know, sexual harassment, uh, a, a powerful man taking advantage of his position uh, with her, I don't think it, it says anything. I think the thing happens. There's no exploration of that I guess and I don't think this is the show that would or should do that um yeah I I don't know yeah no it just it didn't it didn't speak to anything for me and so and it it felt like other than seeing Sally cry in the car yeah yeah I don't know it just it it didn't affect me I guess in the way that it affected you yeah I just the because for me it was that element like the me too sort of bit where he she sort of is sort of obliquely but obviously in hindsight proposition for sex by the agent mm. that won't actually put on the books officially who then discards her by not you know saying that she doesn't represent her when put on the spot by the casting mm. was one thing but then to me the reason it made me go well they while it might not be an in-depth analysis of this there is a theme to it in this episode was the stuff that was happening with Barry when he got to the party Mm. because for reasons that might have to do with an ignorance or an infantileness about Barry he comes in drunk and then tries a has somehow has decided that after sleeping together one time that he wants to be with her for the rest of his life he keeps having <laughs> fantasies about the two of them together. Yeah. He weirdly buys her a very expensive present, which <laughs> I agree with her is ridiculous and full on. It's super he, fucking weird, yeah. It's super fucking weird. He then gets possessive and doesn't like that she's talking to another guy and then says, get away from my girl. Mm. And then he's really macho, masculine, blokey mates show up and start fucking fighting. And then when he's asked by the hostess to get them out, he says, hey, this she wants you to go, you can stay, I think you can stay, and, like, won't ever, doesn't do anything that he should do in this entire situation. Like, it mm-hmm. all comes from this weird, gross, like, boys will be boys attitude. Uh, like, I, Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a boys will be boys type thing. I mean, it's hard because we, because so much, obviously the show is called Barry, so it's going to be from Barry's perspective. Like we have those flashes of, you know, these fantasies he's having. So we understand how naive he, naive he is and um, how simplistic his thinking is about relationships. Yeah. Um, 
And clearly he's very stunted, whereas, like, the real – the person who is really, truly affected by both of these situations, you know, Sally obviously experienced sexual harassment with the agent guy, um, and then obviously this guy that she slept with once is being weirdly possessive um, and acting very, very strangely. Um, She's the one who is truly affected by it. And and yet it still very much feels like Barry's story, a part of his growth. He's learning that, oh, shit, I fucked up. Um, I'm sad that I fucked up. Uh, it's it's about him being weak. It's about him doing the wrong thing. It, it, it feels less to me like it's about how him being weak and doing the wrong thing um, actually affects her. That's fair, and I think you're. I, that, that, and the the problem is, it doesn't necessarily flow on into the next. Like it, that follows on more for Barry than it does for Sally in the later episodes. Mm. I hundred percent agree with that. I guess the reason I tweeted about it was because I thought it was good to see when I got to the end of that episode, and I'm th- sitting here looking at these things and all the terrible male behaviour and how it's affected female characters specifically in this episode. It was just good to see after seeing Bill Hader's name on the first two episodes and mm. another male director on episode three, who's not, who I can't remember off the top of my head, that it was like, oh, this is an episode that's discussing, uh, you know, things happening to women, mm. the female experience inside Hollywood or how toxic masculinity um, will affect, you know, is a negative thing to women to make sure it was written and directed by women. I just thought that was like... Good. That's exactly how this should be happening. Yeah. No. No. I, to- I totally I, agree. With that, I just absolutely. wanted. I was. I just thought that was like excellent, cool, good choice. And mm-hmm. I was like, of all the episodes of the eight seas of the eight episodes that we saw, that was the one that made sense. Like, not the you know they could have easily had female directors for other episodes. What ladies talking about lady issues? But it's like, well, then fucking get an authentic voice in there to do it, and that's yeah, no, well done. Was. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a good. I thought it was a good choice that so that's what they yeah. did. Anyway, I just. I mean, yeah, I know. I, I, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the episode. I, I did think it was really well written. Um, yeah, no, it just, yeah, it just didn't affect me or it didn't make me go, huh, cool, I guess, yeah, in sure. regards to the Me Too movement and stuff. Yeah. Is that, you were talking about Barry's fantasies there, mm. this sort of like naive, infantile sort of fantasy he has. Do you, is that the depth of it for you? Is it just expressing his sort of um, shallowness or lack of experience with romance or, and like this juvenile idea of how this relationship or what this relationship might be or his affections for this woman? Is that what it speaks to you more than anything? Yeah. I mean, it speaks to just how stunted he is emotionally. That, I mean, that's what it speaks to. To me, why? What? What about you? Did you have? No, I don't take, know. I just or? I thought it was really interesting because I kept trying to figure it out through the entire season, basically. So it first starts when they sleep together. It's like his mm. first fantasy is his soup fantasy. We're in the aisle, and all <laughs> the aisle says on the aisle signs is soup, 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 and they get soup, and then they're going to get gum, which is a reference back to the start of the episode where he's trying to be instructed to imagine being in a supermarket. Mm. So it's very well constructed. And then every episode from then on, there's like one, maybe two of these fantasies. One involving having a barbecue where he, she's remembering when he bought him this, when she bought her this laptop and then John Hamm shows up and is like, <laughs> wants to have a piss in one of their five bathrooms. Or when he's thinking about the kids they're having. Mm. And to me, it was, it, uh, it wasn't just that he was, 
juvenile and he's thinking about these things. He was kind of creepy in in the way he was fantasizing about these things. But at the same time, I was like, well, is that true? Like to to be into someone and to like imagine what your life might be together with them. He yeah, wasn't expressing I'm- it outwardly. I think it was when he was trying to express it outwardly, that was where he was more creepy than when he was... It was, just, it was a really interesting insight. It's the only sort of thing like yeah. that in the show. I mean, obviously, you know, in a fantasy, you think of yourself as the best version of you. Sure. So I think it's interesting to, to have a look at what Barry thinks the best version of himself looks like. Yep. Which is the traditional, like, patriarch of a family who, you know, it's it's important that he has a large house, that his, you know, Sally, his wife in the fantasy, um, sees him as a bit of like a knight in shining armour and yep. this guy that kind of swept her off her feet and stuff. Like All of that stuff is very important to him and that's the person that he wants to be. And it's interesting then because then we go into reality and we see actually how damaging those kind of ideals are for him personally as well as those around him. Mm. Um, Another scene I really liked, thematically I just thought it was interesting sort of the discussion. It was maybe not outwardly discussing or or talking about in depth but hinting at or or touching on was the bit where they talk about the Macbeth scene um, and the sort of the morality of murder. And he's talking about how... Mm. Yeah. He's about like, oh no, well, he's he's really that bad. He was just doing what he was told. He was just taking orders from Lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And to see the reaction of everybody else in the room where he's like, no, guy was a fucking murderer. Yeah. And then to have him go, well, I guess I'm just a murderer then. And he we know that he is <laughs> in a lot of yeah. ways just a murderer. But then it's also reality that he was just working as a soldier for a long time. He had a previous before he was a hitman, he, you know, was in overseas in in Iraq or Afghanistan, mm-hmm. wherever he was. Uh, killing people. Uh, that was yeah. his job, his career. And to see the how everyone just black and white said, oh, no, you kill people, you're a psychopath. And then have to walk that back a little bit. And like even killing people is sort of not as black and white as we might think it is. And it's this, it's right in the middle of the season too, which is great because we're grappling with this hitman trying to become somebody else. What do you think of that scene? I mean, I was surprised to see it. I yeah. didn't expect that to happen. I mean, the the a lot of the jokes around the, around the acting class is how kind of in a bubble and ignorant they are. Um, the 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 actors in the class, sure, and um, that's where a lot of the comedy is from. So then to take that and turn it into actually something more serious, yeah. and to you know, one of the very few instances where we see Barry express emotion to other people and how upset he gets and how much he does not want to be thought of in that way and, and how hurtful that ignorance is to someone like him who, you know, has, has done things that have emotionally affected him Um to hear other people who have never had to do anything like that mm-hmm. speak so flippantly about it. I yeah, like I said, I didn't see that scene coming. I thought it was incredibly effective. Yeah. It also helped me see these the, you know, I'm going to call them the, an acting troupe, I guess, who were really just jokes. 
Yes. Um, that was their purpose, to see them in a little bit more of a serious light and give them a bit more colour as well, which I liked. This is a little off topic, but I was a little bit sad Darcy Carden didn't have something more to do. Like, I liked I'll her be character. Honest, I was like, give me more Darcy. Please give episode. me more of her. She's great. <laughs> and I want her to just, like, I want her to, I wanted her to have her own show. It's going to happen yeah. one day. There's going to yeah. be like a new girl scenario. Darcy Carden's going to star. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. I can't wait mm-hmm. for it to happen. I want yeah. it. I want it now. Yeah. She will blow it, up, I'm sure. I think it's a good chance it's going to happen. Once yeah. Good Place is over and she's done yeah. with Janet. I, th- I mean, I think she's probably most people's favourite part of The Good Place. With so, 100% mine. Yeah, me too. So it would be shocking to me that subsequently she wouldn't you know, get movie deals and get her own show or whatever it might be. I think it actually is the moment where I was like, I think I want to watch Barry is when I know when I realised on Twitter, because I follow her on Twitter, that she kept promoting it. I was like, oh, you're in this. Oh, <laughs> I, should, I should watch this show. <laughs> she is once there... liked a tweet I did and I fucking lost my shit. I was like, I've made it. Darcy Carden appreciates me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot <laughs> that. That was very cute. Mm. Is there anything else that you think the show is trying to express or is about specifically? Um, I just think there's there's so many interesting things here. There's the moment of Barry saying his Macbeth line, that one line he has in the Sally scene. You know, mm. he comes out and... Um, the she is dead, my lord, or whatever it is, right? And he gets it right that one time because he's having a fucking emotional crisis after yeah. flashing back to killing his friend. For, <clears throat> for me, the whole sh- that that moment that like that moment of the show is where the show went from good to great. Like that was yes. where I was like, this is this mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, Spoiler was interesting. favorite episode for me. Yep. That was your favourite episode? I yeah. can see why. Yeah. The Jeff Kanata of the Slash Filmcast was talking about Barry briefly as well. And he's interesting. His perspective is interesting because he is an actor by trade. Mm. And he said something that I think is actually a little bit wrong, but I want to get your opinion on this as well. Oh, you should fight him. Well, he was thinking, he said, it's interesting how they sort of compare being a hitman to being an actor because they're the two professions where you sort of have to kill yourself. Like you have to be sort of like, kill yourself emotionally inside. I was like, I wasn't quite sure if I agree with him on that because it's sort of the opposite. It's like, to be the hitman, like this is the whole arc, right? Mm. You, to be the hitman, you have to be emotionally shut off and kill yourself. But, but to the actor, it's the opposite, right? You have to be emotionally tapped in at all times and be willing to go to places that you would have otherwise shut off as a as a hitman. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I think... Why Barry is attracted to being an actor is because he believes it is a place that he can go to and change who he is. And I think throughout the series, he actually discovers, and I think, you know, in that moment when he's having a breakdown and Sally says to him, you know, whatever your process was, that's great. Whatever you're digging into, awesome. So what he actually discovers is, that's not what acting is. It's not to continue to disassociate from things and to shut down and kind of create an alternate version of yourself. To be someone that, that else. That you might be able to like, yeah. yeah. It, it is actually to look so deep within yourself and explore your experience of emotion so that then you can put that into something else. So, yeah, like I think... Barry, ha- yeah, has that idea that, oh, yeah, I'm, I can be an actor just so I can be someone else. And then he discovers that, oh, no, that's not what it is. It's, I have to it's an exploration of self more than ever. and that's quite scary. Yeah. Um, other lines that sort of stood out to me as being poignant 
but maybe needing some thought was mm. when he is about to take out that target, the informant, and then Sally is on the phone. She's upset because of this horrible um, experience she's had where she went to audition and this other person who's less talented than her has got a job and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And she says, and this is sort of his trigger, I don't want to be alone. At which point he decides, fuck it, I'm not going to do be as cautious as I normally am and I'm going to go and murder this guy and I'm going to drive myself over to Sally and be with her. Mm. What did you feel about that? Because up to that point, he had had an opportunity to be with her previously. He'd had take driven her home and sort of walked away, maybe a little bit oblivious to the situation, but certainly that it was suggested they would have been intimate then. So why was it that line, do you think, that triggered him to react like he did? Yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you think maybe he has the desire to be the protector, to be needed in that way specifically? I'm not sure. I, ha- I actually haven't thought about that one. What are yeah, your thoughts on it? I it, it's This is the thing. This is why it's interesting because I think it can be read a few different ways. Like there's the, the – I think the, the protector, that sort of – traditional role white knight scenario is is one that could be the I mean it's the opposite of being just the guy who's like killing people because mm-hmm. he's paid to right it's to 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 fill in that role to be protecting or guarding or supporting somebody because that's what they need mm. not because they're being paid to take out a guy it's like the polar opposite of where he is and so that's appealing to him but also I wonder if it spoke to something he felt inside himself which is that he didn't want to be alone either but I don't know if I ever did you ever get the feeling that he was alone before then certainly from then on we get his fantasies of being with her so it suggests that that's his that's what really is driving him as well Mm. um before that did you feel like I suppose he I mean he was alone he was living alone he's only contacted the world with his apartment where he lived in episode one, he was, was clearly very alone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Also, I guess- did this come, uh, is it in the same episode? I really can't remember when um, Jean says to Barry, and it's, I, 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 I responded to this line in, in which Jean says, do you just quietly feel shame at your own desires while sadly doing the bidding of others? Yeah, po- quite possibly, I think, mm. yeah. Cause, I it's- mean, that might have been a catalyst for him to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's how I have lived my life. I mean, in the army, would have had to do that, do the bidding of others while you, you know, quietly feel shame um, at your own desires. Certainly what he's doing now. And maybe he had an opportunity clearly presented to him to follow his desires. Maybe that was it. it. The only thing that would have made me believe that a little bit more is if he didn't kill the guy. Right, he mm-hmm. still killed his target. Like he still did his bidding. He still mm-hmm. did the thing he was told to do because he's told to do it. Yeah. Um. It's later when he like walks up to, because the 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 best line of that I think no, you know what? It's not the same episode because that comes later. Okay. That's the one. That's the episode where he does the Glengarry Glen, Glen Ross bit mm, because that's right. Yeah. He that's when he asks him about that and he revs him up and gets him to go and then it cuts to him talking to Fugues and saying, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore and he throws the job down at his feet and while Fugues is playing golf. So that yeah. moment actually came later. Okay. Um, yeah. But I guess it was a stepping stone to that Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to that moment as well. The other one that I liked, which is actually speaks to the line you're just talking about, is the when he's hearing that uh, the guy, the target he's killing, this is the same episode actually as the um, I don't want to be alone. He gets to the end of the episode and he's repeating the line in that other language that he doesn't understand. And I guess it's in Spanish. I'm not 100% sure. 
and Sally knows what it means. It's like, what does it mean? It's like, you don't have to do this. And then it's just right before credits, Barry's just like, yeah, I guess not. And then like ends the episode. I have um, no memory of what you're talking about at all. So when he's killing the informant, the one that he'd been waiting with the sniper rifle for for the longest time, oh, yeah, he runs yeah. into the house and the guy keeps saying something in another language that he can't understand. That's right. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. it's Spanish because my girlfriend knew what it was. And she's like, do you know what he's saying? I was like, well, I do because I've already watched the episode once before you, but yes. Right. <laughs> um, right. Uh, oh, yes, yes. And then Sorry. he gets the moment and Sally mm-hmm. translates it for him that he was saying, you don't have to do this. And then he yeah. still has this epiphany moment of, yeah, I guess not. I was going to bring up a whole thing about that, but we kind of already went there with your line. So forget it. It doesn't matter. Okay, good. But shut up. What was that? No, I just told you to shut up. Yeah, cool. I will. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I really want to talk about before we get to final thoughts is the ending of this. Mm. So, we the whole last episode, there's a lot that happens. The Chechens all get killed except for um, the albino bald guy. No, I don't think he's albino. He's just... No, he's had alopecia. Alopecia, thank you very much. That's what I meant. He's a sit well. The, uh, I think he's the only one that survives that whole incident. And then the, they, they think they figured out, um, who, the the, the police have think they got the whole thing figured out. Happy, happy ever after. Mm. A few years later, or f- uh, however many months later, I think it might be three months later, whatever it is. Um, they're at Cousineau's like lakeside house cottage thing, and through you know, happenstance and circ- and conversations, the detective figures out that Barry is the murderer she's been looking for the entire time mm. and they have a confrontation and Barry seemingly is left with no other option except to kill her. We don't actually see this happen. All we see is gunshots outside the window, Sally's window, yeah. and then Barry walking in later, having a shower and getting into bed. Mm-hmm. But saying that he was done with that life as of right now, right? Yeah. How did you feel about this ending? What does it say to you? What does it speak to you about Barry the character? What does it set up for you going forward? Yeah. Well, one, I was heartbroken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I felt it, it's. I mean, it's so strange. I obviously felt terrible for the detective. I was like, "Fucking hell, this sucks." Like when she was looking at his. Facebook page um, and making that connection with the other Marine guys. Um, and then Barry arrives on the dock. And then the the conversation they have with one another about Dar- sorry, Barry is just trying to make her understand that he's he's done with it, that he's he's actually a, he's a good guy. He is a good guy. Um, yeah, and as much as we want to believe that as a viewer knowing and um, i you know we come to an understanding you know she says it blatantly she's like no you're a murderer and i like that's the point is that if he was a good guy and say he had done these awful things to not own up to them to continue to live a lie and to allow others to suffer just so you don't have to deal with the consequences of your actions. That is not something a good guy would do. Um, It's certainly like, I mean, he's certainly going to continue to suffer because of his, in a way, because of his actions. Um, 
but yeah, it's just an, an added, another added complication that I think is going to make for a very interesting season two. There's, there's just listening to you talk about that. There's just so many things to consider as well. Um, up until he kills his vet friend, his veteran friend, mm. mo- pretty much everyone he's killed has been a fellow murderer or criminal or a bad person, right? Mm-hmm. So, what are your feelings about Barry at this stage? He's killed two people who ultimately haven't really done anything wrong. Mm. The detective and his friend mm-hmm. both killed completely out of necessity just to keep himself safe. Yep. Do we still have an affection for Barry? Do we think of him as a monster more now than ever? Is this just a tragic arc for him? Yeah. I mean, I I think I have empathy for Barry. I can understand his point of view and why he has done the things that he has done, but also can condemn them and I think the show does condemns them as well. So I, yeah, I, I mean I love that that complication of character, that sense of tragedy, knowing that if he had taken a different path, he would just be, you know, just a nice normal guy living a life. But uh, because of choices that he has made, um, one, you know, at you know, before the show even starts, just making the decision to work with Fuchs, um, it has led him to where we are now. It, yeah, it is, it is just a tragic tale. So do you have affection for Barry still? Yeah, I think I do, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting place for the show to be because mm. you look at it and I like the character of the detective and I am sad that she is most likely dead, which it seems like is what the show's implying. Mm. Um. And you can, like, there's no way around it. He's done, he's killed two people who didn't deserve to die in cold blood. Yeah. But yet I kind of am rooting for him in some weird way as well. Because I would like him to be happy even though he doesn't deserve to be. Yeah. I mean, that was like a heartbreaking element of that, you know, one of the final scenes in which I felt so bad for him that he had been caught. But I also knew that in order to him to succeed, it meant that she would probably have to die. Yeah. So then at that point as a viewer, you're like, well, what do I root for? Oh, no. Which is really kind of an interesting experience. In terms of, um, yeah, people have said they don't really want a season two. I think the thing, the reason for that is because I think where it ends is such a, just a tragic, like, full stop in a lot of ways. Like, that mode of him saying... And I'm done with it now. And it's like the tragedy is that you understand that of course he can't be, which means this is all mm-hmm. going to unravel and you mm-hmm. it's inevitable. And all that we can really be offered from here on, because he's gone past the point of no return and killing two innocent people, is either he causes more devastation or he falls, right? Mm-hmm. That's all that's left. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true or is that worth seeing? Do we need to see that or should are we is season one enough? Season one is fantastic, um, but I think there is so much more to explore with Barry as a character. Um, yeah, no, I, just- I would be very, very, very disappointed if it was just one season. I want more, and I think there is, yeah, there's more to explore. 
All right, we'll talk about that again in when we get to uh, hopes, predictions, concerns, and so forth. In the meantime, let's get to final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Side notes. I've only got one, really, actually, now that I look at it, and it's not even a very good one. Um, it was interesting. <laughs> there was a bit with Taylor when he went and bum-rushed the guys in the warehouse. There was a heap of guys in there. He just, like... And like Barry's trying to strategize, and then he just goes, Leroy Jenkins. And similar to the joke that I said was from Austin Powers 3, a Leroy Jen- Jenkins joke is so old school, it's kind of weirdly like archaic now. And, and like, I was like, how long ago was this script written that we're doing Leroy Jenkins jokes? What Leroy is Jenkins the Leroy Jenkins joke? Leroy Jenkins is a famous, found out to be uh, a setup video of a group who were doing a raid in World of Warcraft way, way back in the day. Like, oh, I'm talking right. like 15 years ago where yeah. they're about to go in. It, part of the strategy is how you approach these bosses or these monsters, basically, these encounters, mm. because depending on how you do it, you'll get aggro and certain like effects will happen depending on how you approach it. And one guy just goes, whose name was Leroy Jenkins, go, yeah, shouted Leroy Jenkins and ran straight in, completely just ignoring the strategy that was going on the planning. And right. everyone's reaction to that was like, oh, fuck, everyone else. Get-. Anyway. Right. And the fact that he just shouted Leroy Jenkins and ran in, I was like, I get the reference, but it was the one joke I was like, but really? A Leroy Jenkins reference? That's what we're going for here? That was that. But do like- you think that's the kind of guy that would think that that will always be relevant and funny? It didn't speak to me necessarily because I didn't see him as being a World of Warcraft gamer. <laughs> if I'd seen any hint earlier that he was playing WoW or something like that, uh, maybe. But yeah. like to pull that reference out of his ass. This is the guy who's like, we find out later, just watches porn during the day. Like, <laughs> it's... Just a casual porn viewer. Just a casual porn viewer. Seemingly not for erotic reasons, just to watch it. Just to discuss it. It was like yeah. he had a he had a lot of opinions on it. <laughs> yeah. He knew it was going to happen. He was like, he was re-watching it because he, he knew the beats, you know, it was his favourite movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that reference is a little bit like, really? A Leroy Jenkins? It's like the one joke that, I, that kind of made me go, oh, okay, that's odd. Mm. Do you have any side notes? No, I don't have any. No. Excellent. Um, favourite and least favourite episodes. What was your least favourite episode, Damask? I actually didn't have one. That's fine. Yeah, is that's that okay? Cool. You don't need to do the work. It's fine. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> No, it's fine. I actually had trouble as well. I've mm. I've found one and it's mm-hmm. to me it's episode six, listen with your ears, react with your face. Yeah. Uh which is actually the same episode as Leroy Jenkins joke, I realise. <laughs> and for me, I think oh no, that might have been actually the episode after, but the the issues for me were just with Taylor. Mm. And that mm-hmm. because of him, it seemed that it was quite avoidable to see things going south. Um I wasn't shocked or surprised with this episode. It was sort of just moving pieces to where they need to be. Yeah. Still a good episode. There's, it's mm-hmm. not a bad episode at all, but it was like we just had to, kind of had to grind our way through this Taylor stuff and have Barry be passive rather than proactive to let, allow us to get to a point where things went, got to the, the finale, basically. Mm. Still good. Just, yeah. just my least favorite. I what about you. your favorite good, episode? Good points. Um, my favorite is—I mean, I spoiled this earlier. It's episode seven. Mm-hmm. Just the the moment of Barry realizing that he has to kill his friend, and how awful that moment is. Yeah, and just like 
the realization that this guy, you know, has a family, he's got kids and seeing Barry just walk away from the car. Um, but also like, so in that, in that scene when they're sitting in the car and then that other person kind of drives into like where the park where they are or whatever. And you re- it feels kind of like a horror movie knowing that this guy is going to die. And yeah. then if that car leaves, he's dead and the car yeah. pulls away and you're like, Oh my God. Um, which ultimately leads to his breakdown on stage, which is beautifully performed. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's tragic. Yeah, no, I, it was it was a really fucking good episode. What about yep. you? I I I think I agree with you um, that that those two moments are some of the best moments in the series. Mm. I've put in episode four. Uh, commit to you. By the way, I loved the episode titles. The idea of them making them chapters. From Kusano's book. From his book, yeah. And then I like I because they were so distinct, I was paying attention. Sometimes I don't pay attention really to the titles. But I was paying attention to like how true these were to what was happening. And Mm -hmm. they were always super relevant to what was happening, being talked about in the episode, um, both in in both of Barry's lives, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm giving it to episode four. I think it's where for me the the show really found its soul. We are differing a little bit on how much it really had to say, but I thought it was interesting to just just even approach some of those topics and have them in there. But for me, it was also a really important turning point for Barry um, as a character. It was a really good use of the ensemble. There was a lot of the ensemble in it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my favorite jokes um, were in this episode. I just thought all guns were firing, and at that point, I was like, I'm in. It was like yeah. it was the episode that got me like super in at that point. I was really invested. So, for me, that was my favorite episode. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns going forward into season two, Damask? Um, I just hope to learn a little bit more about the people in Barry's world. I would, I would love to explore that a little bit more now that we've kind of really enjoyed the premise as much as we have and gotten to know Barry a little bit. Um, but I still think there's a lot more to mine there as well. I, I, that's, I'm really excited about that kind of stuff. As for predictions, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's going to have a similar vibe of, you know, Barry kind of scrambling to maintain the status quo while evidence is mounting around him. But, you know, who knows? It could be something completely different. What about you? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, for me, it feels like obvious, as we were sort of saying earlier, that there's only one way for this to go and that, that this is just watching the... We've reached the peak for Barry, right? We've seen him achieve what he wanted to achieve. He was living a happy life with Sally. He had friends around him. He was doing his acting thing. And everything from now on is just a spiral away from that. And mm. so it's a question of what that looks like. Can that still be the entertaining show that we've come to like? Can it still be a comedy when... It's just going to be Barry trying to cover his ass and probably kill more people in an effort to keep his life the way it is. Like, can it still be that show or is this going to turn to Breaking Bad as we go along? Like, it's, it's, I don't know. Mm. And I, I think I understand people's hesitations about season two because of that. But that, you know, the thing is, even if a future season is as good as season one, it doesn't dis doesn't mean that season one is any is tainted because of that. If that's yeah, where totally. you want the story to end, fucking end mm-hmm. the story there. I choose to yeah. believe that Dexter ends up to, after season four. I, in my head, have my own headcanon for how Dexter <laughs> actually ends because um, it's not the, the 
last half of those seasons because they were terrible mm. it ends pretty closely after the end of season four Liam and I wrote one once just in our heads were like this is how it should have ended um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested though I'll definitely be there yeah. um, I'm fascinated to see what his relationship with Sally is like mm. I'm interested to see how she is affected by this if she comes to find out about him could the opposite thing happen to her can she go from a person who is in touch with her emotions to actually has to sort of deaden herself inside to deal with, you know, Barry. Yeah. Um, what happens to Kusano? How is he going? How is he going to, as a person, react to his missing? Because we oh. assume that she he's going to have hit the body. Yeah. His missing, maybe dead girlfriend. There's what? How does Fuchs play into all of this? Is he a yeah. tempter? Is he a fixer? Is he the ultimate bad guy? I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's a there's there's se- it's weird because there's seemingly one direction to go, but a lot of different ways to get there. I'm fascinated yes. to see how it does it. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's hmm. an episode. Thank you I very much be, to everyone yep. for listening uh, to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Thank you very much to Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work, and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in our show notes. If you enjoy what we're uh, doing here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. Uh, we also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and now on Spotify. That happened this week, so you can find us <gasps> there now. Isn't that exciting? That is uh, exciting. Or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Next week, we'll be back to discuss Search Party Season 1. Yeah, I won. We're going to do that instead of Arrest Development. Because <laughs> it honestly hasn't been that good anyway. I would love... If you get a chance to watch Season 5, though, I'd love you to just give us your thoughts on next week's episode. Yeah, I'll... I'll in between watching Search Party and Supergirl, I'll, I'll yeah, cool. a couple episodes That'd be awesome. in. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.